Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Friday, February 9, 2020, for a fresh new podcast. I'm Crash Barry Danielson is here. Yes, good morning. I am here today, and we are so blessed to have Seth Gruber with us this morning. I know he's a very busy guy, so we so appreciate his time. And I'm going to just jump in with the scripture of the day, and we're going to pray, and then I'm going to introduce Seth. So here we go. My scripture this morning is John 10.10. It's a short one. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Again, John 10.10. Doesn't that kind of sum up the agenda of this God of this world, right? There's a, there's his package deal to steal, kill, and destroy, and we see that everywhere in our fallen world. So we're going to pray this morning and jump right in. Would you pray with me today? Oh, Lord, we find ourselves uh, in, a, in a world today that rejects truth and justice and righteousness. And, and Lord, it makes us weary and vexed in our souls, and yet we know that you have a plan for your people to light up the dark as much it is as it is within our influence. Um, Lord, we thank you that despite the futility that seems all around us, we do long all the more for the kingdom to come. And we ask that you comfort those who are weary in well-doing, weary of the agenda of the wicked, and we know that you are working your perfect will out, not just for your people, but the nations as well. So thank you that you are a mighty God and powerful to save. I want to lift up Seth and his loved ones today, and we thank you for his passion, for upholding life and liberty, and his love for those who cannot defend themselves. Protect him, guide him, give him wisdom in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said today, my guest is Seth Gruber. He's a public speaker focused on equipping Christians and pro-life advocates. He's the son of a Pregnancy Resource Center director. He was raised in the pro-life movement. And he's been speaking publicly on behalf of unborn children since the age of 19. He travels and speaks in Christian schools and churches, pro-life training seminars, pregnancy resource center, um, and he also engages in academic debate. No, no surprise there. During his college years, he founded and directed the Students for Life Club at Westmont College, a Christian liberal arts school. And now he's nas- a nationally renowned speaker for life, founder and president of the White Rose Resistance and hope host of the popular podcast Unaborted, SethGruber.com, TheWhiteRose.life. Good morning, Seth, and welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you, guys. Good morning. It's great to have you. Tell us a little bit about the White Rose Resistance. For those who are unfamiliar with what that stands for, maybe they haven't heard you before, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we're we're now the uh, fastest growing pro life organization in America. Mm. Uh, we launched right after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and the White Rose Resistance is actually the story of a bunch of kids in their twenties in Nazi Germany and Munich during the Third Reich in 1942 and 1943, who were writing, distributing. Um, illegal leaflets that were condemning the crimes of the Nazis and asking good people to wake up. Um, they said things like, if you know, why do you not act? Uh, they said things like, do not hide your cowardice behind the cloak of expediency. They said, we are Christian and we are German, 
Therefore, we are responsible for Germany. Mm. And they were trying to wake up the church and people who knew better to act and to engage in Christian resistance. To make a long story short, they were arrested for their activities and they had their heads chopped off Mm. um, for trying to wake up the church in Germany to stand against evil, to stand for the rights of their neighbors, to stand for freedom. And we find ourselves in a very similar situation and position Mm -hmm. today in America. Um, You know, people are criticized when they make too many comparisons to Nazism, but we Mm -hmm. really are facing so many of the same ideologies Mm -hmm. of uh, neo-Malthusianism, Darwinism, eugenics, uh, by the way. Um, this this belief that there are good genes and bad genes, and, and we need to create a master race, and so you know we need to re-educate the bad Republicans, and we need to um, we need to we need to throw any January sixth people who put two toes into the Capitol for five mm-hmm. seconds um, and throw them in a federal prison and not give them a lawyer. Uh, things are mm-hmm. so out of control right now mm-hmm. um, that it's impossible to not begin to draw comparisons. Um, and once you know the history of kind of how this current culture of death in America got created. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's impossible yeah. to not make comparisons to the same kinds of evils and ideologies that our brothers and sisters in Christ were facing during the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why we launched this ministry, was to, do, to, to fulfill the goals of the White Rose Resistance, to, to prick the conscience of the culture mm-hmm. and awaken the church to action before it's too late. Well, I think by the time we're done today, people will understand more and more how there is nothing new under the sun, and it is a very, very similar environment that we are in today. And before we jump in on that, I want to ask you a little bit about your schedule. What are you doing these days? Are you mostly speaking in churches or um, you know, banquets? Or what, what, is, what are you finding now is the pattern for what you're doing these days? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been on a, a non-stop church tour since the fall of 2022, the oh. White Rose Resistance National Life Tour. We've probably done something like, uh, 45 churches since, um, August of 2022. So less than two years. Um, I've spoken at a slew of university campuses. We did a university tour called, um, Adolf Who. The bloodbath of Margaret Sanger. Wow. Um, that uh, rustled some feathers, obviously. I keynote galas and pregnancy centers around the country. I do as, as many as I can because I came from that world. But mm-hmm. I'm kind of busy growing this uh, ministry, and then we're developing resistance circles all around the country. Great. And so we're hiring quickly. We're staffing up, and wow. we're actually going to be developing chapters around the country led by godly men and women. We are a Christian ministry. We make no apologies for that. Um, because you know why? This was the role of the church. And we're trying to put ourselves out of a job by um, help, by teaching the church how to be salty again. Yeah. Um, ending abortion is actually not the role or duty of the pro-life movement. It's actually the duty of the church. The history of our faith in Christendom um, is that wherever the gospel was preached, social transformation followed. Uh, that, that it wasn't merely or exclusively about the proclamation of salvation. Obviously, that's important, but but it's actually living the gospel. Um, it was it was it was Christians who were launching all the orphanages, who were raising orphans as their own, who were rescuing infants abandoned to die from exposure um, to the elements in Rome. Um, when the Persians were developing uh, surgical curette procedures, when ancient Hindus and Arabs were concocting chemical pessaries, 
that were pushed or shoved into the womb through the birth canal. Uh, when the Egyptians were disposing of their unwanted girls by disemboweling and dismembering them and harvesting their collagen for the manufacture of cosmetic creams, it, it wasn't 501c3s standing against those evils. It was Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, pro-life expression is, is actually Christianity 101. Um, now, I'm part of the pro-life movement. I'm grateful for the pro-life movement, of course. But they're actually doing the job that the church is called to do. And so we're trying to put ourselves out of a job mm. by awakening the church in America again. Kind of follow me as I follow Christ. Mm. Like, follow us into Christian resistance. You can do this. Get off the bench. Get onto the field of battle. Stop being a bench warmer and experience the greatest adventure of all, mm-hmm. which is being used to stand for God's purposes in this fallen world. And he will work miracles when his people are simply obedient. Mm. Praise the Lord. And I, I love how you said about the gospel, because even in our verse this morning, we talk about the thief, but then it gives the, the antidote right there. I have come that they may have life. And more abundantly, the gospel is the antidote to to the uh, this kill and destroy culture that we're living in. Seth, let me just uh, set this up before we launch into a good contextual history lesson this morning. We've lamented for some time here on the podcast the absolute destruction of the family, marriage, the war on women, the war on children. Never in my life did I expect to see the porn revolution, the exportation of the porn revolution around the globe, the gender surrender movement, the trans agenda shoved down our throats day in and day out. Now, I'm a baby boomer, and we never wondered about our gender. We never considered keeping anything about that from our parents. We never worried about our mental health in any of this. So there are a lot of roots and shoots that we can discuss about how we got here. Um, but we're going to look at some of the latest examples uh Later on, the latest examples to destroy our generation, but I want to start with movements, for lack of a better term, that have done the most damage in the shortest amount of, t- of time and produced the most rotten fruit uh, imaginable. And before we get to Planned Parenthood and what they're up to, I'd like to start by talking about Margaret Sanger. Now, she uh, she was born in 1879, and she, her father was a, a, a fiery, opinionated atheist, and she embraced the beliefs of this anarchist at an early age. She was a socialist, a humanist, an atheist, a feminist. She was involved in the occult, psychics, astrologers, seances, etc., etc. So um, none of this should surprise us, Seth, but can you just uh, tell us something about her life? Um, it's extensive. It's quite a life. But could you jump in and tell us about Margaret Sanger? Yeah, I mean, she's, she's probably had a more curated treatment by the liberal establishment hmm. in America than almost any other uh, radical leftist uh, Marxist revolutionary hmm. of the last 115 years. Um, they did the same thing to Kinsey, by the way. That was why, that's why they tapped Liam Neeson to play Kinsey in the movie on Kinsey to, to curate and edit uh, and round out the more rough edges hmm. of who that man actually was. But they did the same thing to Sanger. I mean, she's been called the patron saint of feminism. She's been called the birth control queen, uh, breaking through glass ceilings. Um, you you got to remember, guys, Martin Luther King Jr. won the first Margaret Sanger Award. Mm. Um, wow. Barack Obama won the Margaret Sanger Award. Um, Nancy Pelosi won the Margaret Sanger Award. Um, Kamala Harris won the Margaret Sanger Award. Um, Hillary Clinton won the Margaret Sanger Award. And all of these people... Um, were drooling 
over her in their accept, acceptance of, of her award. And th- this woman, of course, is the founder of Planned Parenthood, originally called the American Birth Control League, uh, renamed Planned Parenthood in 1942 um, to deflect criticism from <laughs> her involvement in the eugenics movement in America because Hitler had, at that point, given the phrase eugenics a little bit of a negative connotation. <laughs> um, and everyone knew that Margaret Sanger was not merely part of the eugenics movement. She was the eugenics movement. She mm-hmm. was one of the leaders of the eugenics movement in America. And, and so the American Birth Control League, that name was so wrapped up, one and the same, essentially, with the eugenics movement and the American Eugenics Society, that that's why she changed the name, y'all, to Planned Parenthood in 42. Anyways, I thought that would interest you. But yeah. um, th- th- this woman inspired, her and her ilk inspired much of the Nazi eugenic um, legislation that would be on the books in the Third Reich. Now, there's no letters between Margaret Sanger and Adolf Hitler, you know, mm-hmm. but it's almost that bad, actually. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. almost that bad. Um, she was a neo-Malthusian. Okay, she was a Darwinist, and and you were talking about the damage of bad ideas. I mean, she believed that Christianity, Protestantism, Catholicism was a joke, um, but it was a great danger because it was keeping people from true freedom and equality. And um, she was uh, directly mentored by Havelock Ellis. Um, Havelock Ellis was sort of the Alfred Kinsey of England, if you will. Hmm. He was a weirdo, kooky, um, sexual pervert who hosted orgies in his home, um, who forced his wife into lesbianism, um, who began a raging affair with Margaret Sanger when she escaped the New York um, Police uh, for breaking the Comstock laws in 1914 for breaking obscenity laws. Mm-hmm. And she begins a raging affair with Havelock Ellis. Uh, he writes about their um, experiences in bed in letters that he forces his wife to read and drives her insane and she loses her mind. Wow. Um, in, in Sanger's book, My Fight for Birth Control in 1934, I believe, um, she openly admits that Havelock Ellis was essentially the number one most influential individual in her life. Um, Why is that interesting? Because Havelock Ellis was mentored by Francis Galton. Hmm. Uh, Francis Galton coined a term. He coined a term. He invented a word. (laughs) That word is eugenics. That word is eugenics, uh, listeners. Um, If you're thinking of Hitler, Mao Zedong, Mussolini, Mm -hmm. um, good job, Pol Pot, that's all eugenics, this belief that uh, it means good in birth. So some people are good in birth and some people are bad in birth. We want more of the good people and less of the bad people. Wow. And Galton was, uh, did you mention this, he was related to Charles Darwin? In fact, he began this work, I think, right after Charles Darwin passed away? Yes, and so Francis Galton was um, Charles Darwin's half-cousin. He read Origin of Species, it changed his life, and he credits his cousin's book um, to the new trajectory of his life. He's credited as the modern father of the eugenics movement. So isn't it interesting? We go awfully quickly from the premise, man is a monkey and an animal, Mm -hmm. there's no sanctity of life, to you should weed out the unfit, um, and that apple literally didn't fall far from the tree, it's literally within the same family. Galton then mentors Havelock Ellis, the Kinsey of England, the sexual, chaotic weirdo, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, who then mentors Margaret Sanger, the founder of the largest, best-funded, and most profitable 501c3 in human history, the largest abortion provider in the world, the largest provider of the pornographic comprehensive sexuality education in America's public schools, and now the second largest provider of um, cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers. Wow. Wow. And where did they get all of that money? Is this from grants? or Because I know they receive outrageous amounts of funding. Is it mostly grants, or how do they get their money? Yeah, I mean, she then went on to build a global revolution. Mm-hmm. She, she came back in 1916 from England and opened up the first illegal, unlicensed birth control clinic in the Brownsville section of New York. Um, she then launched the organization in 1921. She launched her magazine in 1917, The Birth Control Review. Um, she began to publish the articles of card-carrying Nazis um, and eugenicists. It's shocking to read her magazine today, of course. Um, and she knew how to wine and dine um, the the Rockefellers, the Fords, the Carnegies. Um, she, she had conservatives, allegedly conservatives, um, support her. She, she worked her way into the halls of power and was probably perhaps uh, the most effective fundraiser um, of the 20th century. Um, She was a raging alcoholic. She continued to cheat on her husband. She had multiple affairs, um, but she was very effective at the culture of death. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yes, of course, they get grants. Planned Parenthood today gets um, about $600 million in taxpayer funds, about $600 million. Wow. in taxpayer funds every year. Yeah. Um, but just their uh, individual donor base is pretty incredible, and this is why um, we have to remember that we're not just dealing with, like, um, one among many issues. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with what I think should be called, as Christians, the sacrament of Satan, um, wow. the sacrament of secular humanism and secular progressivism. And our pagan culture... Um, is so in love with this sacrament that allows them to have orgasms without responsibility mm-hmm. um, that even your run-of-the-mill lower or middle-class liberal in America probably gives 20 to $30 a month to Planned Parenthood. Um, their donor base is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Obviously, it's blood money. It's disgusting. It's demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Satan is, is looking um, for kings influencers, states, civilizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wants a global revolution. Mm -hmm. And um, Margaret Sanger probably is the most um, effective uh, leftist revolutionary in America in the last 115 years. Yeah, boy, absolutely. And I I think of the obscenity laws because, um, you know, she was really pushing the limit of her day. You know, she had an underground paper. Um, It was very explicit. The courts called her literature filthy, vile, and indecent. And so, you know, the obscenity laws of the time prohibited mentioning birth control. The post office refused to deliver her newsletters and pamphlets. She was facing a 45-year jail sentence, so she left the country so she could hobnob with the mega-liberals over there, you know, the free thinkers in Europe. Um, you know, so she immersed herself in the teachings of those who ranted and raved about, you know, population control. Um, but the obscenity, this fascinates me because movies weren't even rated till the late 60s, and now you can turn on any television or any um i don't know anything and it's just all tvma it's all off the charts it's foul it's disgusting and and so um boy when i think of obscenity laws this country actually had them 
and censorship. Uh, well, many of them are still on the books. They are. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's just amazing to me that, that the um, cable and, and the various streaming services can get away with what they do. And the pornography industry, too, this is all um, offshoots, I'm guessing, of Margaret Sanger and all of this um, this vile stuff that she uh, pursued and forced on on our culture. Uh, the pornography industry, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I think it started in America. I don't know what the Hugh Hefner connection is. There is there a connection with Hugh Hefner and all of these uh, historical figures? <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> um, so uh, Planned Parenthood, is, as I said, is the largest provider of pornographic comprehensive sexuality education okay. in America today. Um, and they actually helped architect. Let me say that again. Planned Parenthood helped architect what is today called comprehensive sexuality education. Um, so if you've ever seen, I don't know, any moms or dads speaking at school board meetings in the last two and a half years, Christian, very angry moms and dads because of the filth in the sex ed curriculum and in the libraries. Yeah, what I'm saying is that Planned Parenthood architected that. Their medical director, Mary Calderon, mm. left Planned Parenthood as the medical director uh, in 1964, and she founded SECIS the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States, SECIS. SECIS then became the number one group, number one group, at the helm of creating, writing, publishing, selling, and placing into schools the pornographic, obscene, comprehensive sexuality education. Mm, of course. Um, it, it was founded, let me say that again, it was founded by Planned Parenthood's medical director with seed money, with seed money provided by Hugh Hefner. Um, Hugh Hefner met a man while he was an undergraduate college student and a virgin, Hugh Hefner did, and that man's name was Alfred Kinsey. Mm. Um, Kinsey then revolutionizes Hefner um, and Hefner would refer to himself as Kinsey's pamphleteer. Kinsey's pamphleteer. Um, if you look at the citations, if you do the due diligence to trace the uh, <laughs> the science, <laughs> the, uh, the the citations of where this comprehensive sexuality education comes from, um, you'll always find yourself back at the Kinsey Institute. Mm at Indiana University. It was formerly called the Institute for Sex Research. Uh, it, was, it was renamed the Kinsey Institute um, when Kinsey died. I believe, I'm getting my dates mixed up, I believe he died in 65 or okay. 66. Um, and so Kinsey um, is actually the father of the sexual revolution. If you Google the phrase father of the sexual revolution, uh, the first hundred pages of Google will be Alfred Kinsey. Uh, Sanger, of course, should probably be considered the mother of the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first board members of SECIS, when Planned Parenthood's medical director founded it in 64, one of the first board members of SECIS was Wardell Pomeroy. Now, Wardell Pomeroy <laughs> was Kinsey's homosexual lover. Um, and he took over the Kinsey Institute when Kinsey died. He was part of the pro-incest movement, um, Wardell Pomeroy was. He, he, he did an interview with Time Magazine in 1980 called Attacking the Last Taboo. The Last Taboo. What's the last taboo? Uh, in, incest, okay? Yeah. And he told Time Magazine in 1980, listen to this quote, he said, quote, incest between children and adults can sometimes be beneficial, 
and it need not be a sign of mental illness. That was said by the by the director of the Kinsey Institute, Alfred Kinsey's one of his many homosexual lovers, and the founding board member of SICUS, which was founded by Planned Parenthood's medical director with seed money provided by Hugh Hefner, which becomes the first group to begin organizing, writing, and pioneering what is today bringing all these pissed-off, righteously angry mama bears and papa bears because of of actual porn in the sex-ed health weekend and the sex-ed curriculum. Planned Parenthood architected all of that stuff. That's that's just a little bit of the history behind this obscene, uh, sexually charged culture of death that all the kids for sexualized children. That agenda is very clear now, which is why I encourage you guys all to go watch the new documentary I had the honor of being in. My good, my friends Robbie and Landon Starbuck, one of the biggest power couples in, I think, the church and the conservative movement today, just came out with a movie that was premiered on X, uh, Twitter, blasted out by Elon Musk. It's called The War on Our Children. Okay. The War on Our Children. You can buy it on Rumble or you can subscribe on Robbie Starbucks' X Twitter account to watch it. It's two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. wow. Um, and and, and it, it, it blows the top off of the entire War on Our Children. And I have an entire segment in that documentary about the Kinsey stuff and how all this stuff was architected. But it's very important for us as Christians to understand how this all happened because you can't defeat an enemy you you don't understand, mm-hmm. and you can't destroy an enemy you don't know exists. Mm-hmm. And most people in the church today don't even know that this is an enemy and how he operates. Wow. And are you finding when you speak in the churches that a lot of people are learning all of this for the first time? The number one response I've gotten from people in the foyer or lobby of a church since August of 2022 when we kicked off the White Rose Resistance live tour is, Seth, I've never heard any of that before. Mm. So we are fulfilling God's warning to his people in Hosea 4.6 when he says, my people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. My people are being destroyed, meaning actively, it's happening now, yeah. are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. We are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. We do not understand the ideology of the enemy, nor the people that the enemy of our souls has raised up to advance his ideology in the public square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amen. And I'm a big, big fan of context. As people know who listen to this podcast, there's always more to every single story. We can't live on the sound bites and the news bites that we that we get on our social media and all that. We have to do our homework. We have uh, just a couple of minutes, Seth, before there's a break. You're listening to Seth Gruber on Stand Up For The Truth today on uh, Friday, February the 9th. I want to talk briefly, and we can come back to this, just about the racism, uh, because you talk about all these people who got the Margaret Sanger Award, and she met with wives of KKK leaders, and, and she met with the KKK. And and when Hillary was waxing eloquent about Margaret Sanger back in, I think it was 2020, it stopped real quick when people said, you know she was a racist, right? So, Seth, I just want to talk a little bit about the whole racist aspect. Uh, where does that fit in with uh, Planned Parenthood, eugenics, um, before we go to a break? Is there anything you want to say about that? Well, yeah, I mean, she she launched the Negro Project in 1939, um, and the proposal to her Negro Project said, quote, the mass of Negroes, particularly in the South, are still breeding, breeding carelessly and disastrously, with the result that the increase among Negroes, even more than among whites, is from that portion of the population least intelligent and fit, end quote. That was the opening proposal to her Negro Project. She then 
hired Negro Project directors um, to propagandize birth control in majority black neighborhoods. One of her Negro Project directors said, quote, there is a great danger that we will fail because the Negroes think that this is a plan for their extermination. So let's appear to let the colored run it, end quote. Um, These these are the kinds of things that racists say. Mm -hmm. Um, She she was not a racist in the way that we think of racism today. She wasn't concerned purely with melanin. She was concerned with genes. And so she was a eugenicist, and because of that, her racism came out as well. But what we're really dealing with is eugenics. Okay. Okay, and I know that the, I looked up the definition as sort of a, a standard definition of eugenics, the belief that human character is entirely or in the majority caused by genes unaffected by education or living conditions. And that's just sort of a scary definition already. But um, uh, the number of abortions on minorities, Seth, it's the greatest in the, among minorities is that um, is that my understanding is that true yeah that that's true but it's it, it, it's shockingly and more tragically true mm-hmm. with um black america so um so black america accounts for about 12 to 12.5 percent of the american public so let's put that in half for women so you got about six okay. ish percent of the american public that are black okay. women but are all of them of childbearing age okay All right. Well, we are talking to Seth Gruber today, a very interesting discussion about the roots and the shoots of this death culture we find ourselves in. Uh, You're listening to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, SethGruber.com, TheWhiteRose.life. He also mentioned a movie, The War On Our Children, can be found on Rumble. And I know he mentioned another site, and I'll I'll talk to him about that when we come back. But we're going to be back in two minutes with more. I want to delve further into eugenics and how it was on our shores before anywhere else. So stay with me. Uh, Two minutes from now, we'll be back. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for February the 9th. We're speaking with Seth Gruber today, uh, SethGruber.com, The White Rose Resistance, which can be found at TheWhiteRose.life. Seth, you mentioned a, a movie um, about, it's called The War on Our Children. It's on Rumble. And then what's the name of the gentleman? He also has a page that you can find it on. Yeah, Robbie Starbuck and his wife Landon Starbuck okay. are the producers of the film. If okay. you subscribe to Robbie Starbuck's um, X Twitter account, you can okay. get access to the full film or you can purchase it on Rumble. Okay, and that is it is done and it's out, and so people can watch that now. That's right. Okay. Sounds good. Wow, a lot of interesting, interesting history. Like I said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. I want to mention a gentleman by uh, named Edwin Black, and I know you're familiar with him. He wrote IBM and the Holocaust, which I'm very familiar with, which is simply technologically enabled genocide. That's the, the account of that. And then he also wrote War Against the Weak, Eugenics and America's campaign to create a master race. And what is so interesting, things that I didn't know here, is that um, there was a huge eugenics movement uh, in the 20s, actually before that, um, in this country. Uh, California was considered the epicenter of the American eugenics movement uh, during the right. first decades of the 20th century. There were eugenicists, um, race scientists, um 
Stanford President David Starr Jordan originated the notion of race and blood in his 1902 racial epistle, Blood of a Nation. Then the Carnegie Institution got involved. They had index cards on ordinary Americans. They wanted to remove families. They were targeting Jew, Italian, and other immigrants. Seth, this is um, sort of an eye-opening thing for me. I had not read his book. Uh, what more can you tell us about how um, America was actually, where some of these scientists were in touch with members of the, the Third Reich? Um, what's what's the story here? <laughs> yeah, see, the, the history behind how we got here, which is what I think most people are asking in our day and age right now in America, right? They're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the heck is happening to America? How did this happen? Um, the, the history, the answer to that question is far darker. Um, than most Americans are ready to handle. Mm. And I think there wouldn't have been a market for those answers that I'm very prepared to give um, <laughs> before the scandemic of 2020. You're probably I, right I about that. People had, had a sort of uh, trust in institutions yep. in America. Um, and, and so I would have been kind of the Alex Jones kind of, you know, conspiracy theorist weirdo <laughs> if I said that, uh, I don't know, let me see here. Um, the, the founding board member of Planned Parenthood, Lothrop Sodern, was referred to as the spiritual father of Nazi Germany by Hans F. Gunther, a race anthropologist in Germany and one of Hitler's henchmen, um, who was actually given a, 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 uh, award on eugenics by Hitler himself and one of the highest ranking members of the Nazi party, referred to the founding board member of Planned Parenthood as, quote, one of the spiritual fathers of Nazi Germany. Uh, and he was so beloved, Lothrop Stoddard was, that he was invited on a journalistic interview tour in the Third Reich in 1939, was given full access to interview anyone he wanted in the Third Reich because the Nazis knew that he was one of them. He's the only American I knew, we know of. He is the only American we know of to have had a one-on-one, mm-hmm. a one-on-one meeting with Adolf Hitler after he rose to power. Wow. Yes, that's the, that's the founding board member of Planned Parenthood, Lothrop Stoddard. Lothrop Stoddard was the high official of the Massachusetts KKK, of the Massachusetts Ku Klux Klan. He wrote a book called The Menace of the Underman. The Menace of the Underman. He was a raging eugenicist. Who's the underman? Well, in his uh, his understanding, black, Slavs, Italians, and Jews, and the mentally and physically unfit, disabled, handicapped. Um, And that book, The Menace of the Underman, was read by Nazis, okay? And the uh, Adolf Hitler's chief racial theorist, Alfred Rosenberg, appropriated the German term Untermensch, the German term Untermensch, from the English version of Lothrop Stoddard's book. In other words, the menace of the underman, underman, translated by the Nazis to Untermensch, and the title of Heinrich Himmler's famous Nazi propaganda book, Untermensch. Yes, listener, you just heard me correctly. The Nazis got the term subhuman from the first board member of Planned Parenthood and his book, The Menace of the Underman. What I'm saying is, is I don't think people would have been prepared for those answers, and they would have labeled me a conspiracy theorist if it was 2018. But post-2020, everyone's like, you know what? I bet that weirdo Seth, I bet he's, I bet he's right. I wouldn't put it past these eugenicists, diddle the kids, sickos to, to have actually pulled off that kind of history. So your question was eugenics, California, how did all this insanity happen? Yeah, I mean, we had a Supreme Court decision in America called Buck versus Bell, um, in, in, uh, 1927 that upheld Virginia's 1924 uh, mandated sterilization of those considered a threat to the gene pool, of those considered a threat to the gene pool. Uh, did you guys know that within about uh, 10 or 15 years of Buck versus Bell, 
um, over um, over 70,000 people were forcibly sterilized between California and New York. Um, wow. Guess who celebrated Buck versus Bell when it was decided in 1927? Hmm. Margaret Sanger. Of course. Guess guess what the Nazis did at the Nuremberg trials? They cited Buck versus Bell in their defense. They said, <laughs> "Who are you to judge us? Wow. You had Buck versus Bell. You forcibly sterilized people that you defined as unfit to reproduce, unfit to continue bearing children or living." Guys, the Nazis cited our eugenics laws in America in their defense at the Nuremberg trials, for goodness sake. And yes, California was a leader in the eugenics movement. California was responsible for nearly half of those coercive sterilizations. Mm. Okay. And, and one of, one of the most um, influential eugenicists in the American eugenics movement in the late twenties and early thirties was named CM Goat. Okay. And he, in 1934, he helped arrange for Nazi scientific exhibits to be shown at the Los Angeles County Museum that that same year in 1934, um, as German sterilizations were passing over 5,000 a month, C.M. Gothi um, returned from Ger- Germany and said to an associate of his, he said, quote, you will be interested to know that your work has played a powerful part in shaping the opinions of the group of intellectuals who are behind Hitler in its epoch-making program. Everywhere, he said, I sensed, I sensed that their opinions have been tremendously stimulated by American thought. He said, you have really jolted into action a great government of 60 million people. And so later, Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler, okay, actually gave credit to American eugenics laws um, for the kinds of laws he put on the book. Here's what he said. Hitler once bragged to a colleague, and he said, now that we know the laws of heredity, it is possible to a large extent to prevent unhealthy and severely handicapped beings from coming into existence. He said, I have studied with interest the laws of several American states concerning prevention of reproduction by people whose progeny would, in all probability, be of no value or be injurious to the racial stock, end mm. quote. Mm. That's, Hitler said that, y'all. Of mm. course, he's using that euphemism, prevention of reproduction. What a euphemism. Yeah. He says, I studied the laws in American states about eugenics. And, 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 and he says, it's possible, it's possible to prevent unhealthy and severely handicapped people from coming into the world. Mm. That is, again, just a little bit of the history behind the eugenics movement, so I'll finish with this statement. Guess who Margaret Sanger shared office spaces with when she planted her organization, the American Birth Control League, later renamed Planned Parenthood in 1921. She shared office spaces with the American Eugenics Society. That's who she shared office spaces with. And all of the early funding and all of the early board members of Planned Parenthood were either part of the American Eugenics Society or were clearly part of the American Eugenics movement. At the time, the American Eugenics Society was being led by Madison Grant. Madison Grant um, uh, wrote a book called The Passing of the Great Race in 1916 that was later assigned as essential reading in German schools. Mm -hmm. Madison Grant once put a black man in a cage with a monkey at the New York City Bronx Zoo to, quote, illustrate evolution, illustrate evolution. That black man owed a banga 
later took his life and shot himself in the head. Madison Grant fundraised with Margaret Sanger. They wrote, they wrote for each other. They spoke at each other's conferences. Madison Grant had a secretary named Leon Whitney. Leon Whitney once said, while we were pussyfooting around, the Germans were calling a spade a spade. In other words, <laughs> Madison Grant's colleague, Leon Whitney of the American Eugenics Society said, said, we're screwing around. You know, we're, we're, we're playing too soft shoe with eugenics. Mm. The Germans are calling a spade a spade. They're implementing eugenics much better than we are, complaining that he wasn't implementing eugenics as well in America as the Germans were doing in the Third Reich. So one day, Leon Whitney, who works for Madison Grant, who shares office spaces with Sanger from the American Eugenics Society, Leon Whitney gets a letter in the mail from a German corporal recently out of prison and rising in the German political scene thanking Leon Whitney for his recent book on eugenics. Leon Whitney then runs over to a committee meeting. This is all documented, by the way. Interrupts his boss, Madison Grant, and says, Madison, our writings are influencing the Germans. Madison Grant, once again, let me say this again, the president of the American Eugenics Society, who once put a black man in a cage with a monkey, whose book was assigned reading in German schools, Madison Grant smiles and chuckles and pulls out his own letter he had just received from the same German corporal recently out of prison and rising in the German political scene after his failed coup attempt in Munich, calling Madison Grant's book The Passing of the Great Race, he called it his Bible, end quote. Mm. The man who wrote those letters was named Adolf Hitler. <laughs> wow, it takes my breath away, Seth, when you connect these dots. I know that um, that connecting is not a spiritual gift, but if it were... You would. Y'all okay? Do you guys need barf bags? Is everyone okay at the studio? <laughs> it's just incredible. You you mentioned the the pandemic, and I really, really am a big fan of having people trace that back because how we got there should not have been a surprise to anyone, truly and really. And we go back to Nuremberg, and another branch on this demonic, wicked tree is those who also got away with murder, literally at Nuremberg, and that would be the IG Farben Cartel, BASF, Bayer, Bayer, who was pushing um, heroin as a cough medicine back in the 30s, and uh, which led to LSD, which uh, sponsored the 60s. I mean, there's a lot of dot connecting to go on there, but corporations, uh, the chemical corporations, the chemists war, World War One, uh, the Zyklon B gas, World War Two, with Bayer, who created enough Zyklon B gas to kill every American in 1970, and so there's just. So do you want do you want do you want something that'll rip your face off? Sure, go for it. So um, the abortion pill in America is called RU486. RU486. That's the technical name of the abortion pill. It's now responsible for over half. Let me say that again. It's now responsible for over half of the babies killed in America after the overturning of Roe versus Wade and medication abortion becoming more popular. And because of the Biden administration, it can be shipped through the snail mail postal service now. Okay, well, RU486 is the abortion pill. It stands for Roussel Uclop, R-U, Roussel mm-hmm. Uclop, yep. the French pharmaceutical company that created the abortion pill, um, Emmettil Value or something like that, at, at Roussel Uclop. Roussel Uclop has a majority shareholder. Their majority shareholder is named Hooks AG. Hooks AG, Hooks AG was the co-founder of a German chemical company known as IG Farben. <laughs> IG Farben was responsible for creating a cyanide gas known as Zyklon B, the gas used to poison Jews in Nazi death camps. So, Hooks AG simply shifted from creating poison to murder Jews to creating poison to murder babies wow. into the same company. Wow. 
Um, I had done some research back on um, in May of 1994. The U.S. announced they were going to be testing the French abortionist pill um, uh, with the agreement that patent rights be donated to the Population Council. Now, that was started by John Foster Dulles and John D. Rockefeller Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Fund. Um, Population Council, I never hear about them. I presume they're still around causing trouble. Oh, yeah. No, the Population Council, yeah, still in operation. You you can actually read a really great report that our friends at Live Action put together on the Population Council's involvement with the abortion pill. Um, uh, Live Action, a great pro-life organization, they have a report called Abortion Pill Kills, Abortion Pill Kills at their website. Mm. And, yeah, the Population Council has been wrapped up in <laughs> – they're, they're one of those other groups, kind of like the American Eugenic Society – that we could do whole lectures on just mm. their where, where, how they've had their fingers into so much of this stuff. But yes, no, the Population Council was behind um, bringing the abortion pill to America. In fact, I believe they bought the rights. So yeah, yeah, it's funny because I don't recall ever hearing about them. They never make the media. Planned Parenthood, we've heard about them for many, many years. But the Population Council, I think the listener would do well probably to look into them. Um, and then there was also all the talk oh, yeah. during uh, during the the pandemic about. Uh, the vax and all of that and population control. I mean, this has never been far from the American conscience. I don't think it's ever going to be. Uh, Seth, I, I don't think we're ever going to stop talking about um, wiping out uh, those people. They're just uh, the WEF. You know, they think that corn and peas have the same right as humans. So we are once again, <laughs> you know, sliding into that abyss because the w- yep. WEF is carrying that torch. So, um what are your thoughts on Klaus Schwab? Does he have some Nazi roots? I understand that his uh, grandfather was a Nazi. I don't know. Tell us, Seth. I, I mean, um, you could not have come <laughs> up with someone who looks like more like they could—they're like could have played a Bond villain in a James Bond movie. Right. Like, like it's almost—it's almost too funny to be true. Like Klaus Schwab should just be—he uh, should literally be an actor in yes. a Bond as a Bond villain. <laughs> That like his voice, his appearance, everything right. is so. It's if it wasn't so evil, it would be really, really funny. Right. Um, and, and yes, of course. I mean, the, the World Economic Forum. I mean, they, they, you know, they believe they're master planners. You know, they believe that we're all really stupid idiots who mm-hmm. don't know how to arrange our lives or how to preserve Mother Gaia and how to take care of the Earth and ensure that our grandchildren will have an Earth to inherit. You know, they, they believe in the lie of the sun monster that's going to burn us all up. You know, there's a, there's actually an interesting kind of um, connection once again between Planned Parenthood, the the, ba- the baby killers, um, um, and the the population theorists, right? The people who say um, that there's too many people on planet Earth, and if we don't significantly reduce the world population, um, we're all going to die, right? What did what did AOC say like five, like seven six seven years ago? She I think she said we have like eight years left or seven years yeah, left, right? Um, uh, but don't worry, that's just the science, right? Well, one of the most popular, you probably know his name, one of the most popular um, authors, thinkers um, in the overpopulation movement or the population reduction movement is Paul Ehrlich. All right. Paul Ehrlich wrote a book called The Population Bomb mm-hmm. in 1968. Yep. Um, by the way, a Stanford University professor, The Population Bomb. And he predicts in his book in 68 that if we don't significantly curb population, um, then by the late 80s or 90s, we would have worldwide starvation, okay? So I was born in 91, 
by the time I was born, from the time he wrote his book in 68 and predicted international chaos um, to the time I was born, the world population had doubled. We were the fattest generation in American history, and malnutrition was at an all-time low. So um, uh, follow the science, I guess. Follow the science. Um, Guess what? Paul Ehrlich sat on the board of Planned Parenthood. His book caused international policy adjustments. People don't talk enough about kind of the, the, the damage that has come from the overpopulation. Of, mm-hmm. it, it, it's actually very evil. His book is responsible for, for a lot of actually China's one-child policy mm. um, because th- this book started to cause kind of international frenzy and fear because it, it was given the allure of scientific credibility. Um, and if we don't do something, we're like we're going to have worldwide starvation. Like we're not going to have enough food to be distributed to everyone. And by the way, like Paul Ehrlich was a neo Malthusian, um, and, and so was Sanger, which refers to Thomas Malthus, uh, the, the first overpopulationist, um, who in his writings at the end of the 1700s, early 1800s, he says that food production can't keep up with population growth with the inevitable result being massive starvation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Banger literally referred to herself as a Neo-Malthusian. She literally hosted conferences called the called Neo-Malthusian Birth Control Conferences. I know that sounds crazy. I'm not making mm-hmm. that up. She called her conferences Neo-Malthusian Birth Control Conferences. Wow. She referred to herself as a Neo-Malthusian, right, and that he was the first, we need to depopulate the earth. Um, his book led to uh, Indira Gandhi, the Prime Minister of India, um, start linking access to food, water, and health care to your sterilization status. Wow. Yeah, yeah like you don't get to have health care or get to, like, like drink water. You don't get to participate in the economy unless you can show you've had your tubes tied or you've, or you've had a vasectomy. Like, unless you've been sterilized, yeah. you, you don't get to live. Why? Because they had to do that incentive in order to make sure that they would have a, an earth that could continue to live that like his book did did like international damage and of course he sat on the board of Planned Parenthood like I we could go on and on and on and on here Planned Parenthood is not just part of the population reduction movement they are the population reduction movement Um, and and one of the best ways that they depopulate people shocker is by killing them Mm -hmm. is by killing babies in the womb which has been a primary tool of the population reduction movement for decades. Wow. I'm sure among our listeners, there's more than one jaw on the floor this morning. So you can pick your job and you can listen again if you missed any of this. I got a weird little story. We were watching Netflix the other night, and there was a food documentary called uh, You Are What You Eat. And the premise of it, uh, as we got into it, was they took uh, sets of twins, many, many sets of twins, and they put one on a vegan diet and one on an omnivore, omnivore diet, and the whole idea, the show was to push veganism as the show went on and on. It was preaching and it was all this. But they're experimenting on twins. And I heard my husband under his breath across the room say, didn't the Nazis do that? You know, and it was so bizarre. And people don't have, if you don't have any context, you don't even think about that. We're old enough to think about that. But it's just everywhere. This culture of death is absolutely everywhere. You had said, we have a few minutes left, Seth, and you had said that uh, Planned Parenthood is the most profitable nonprofit 501c3 in history. That blew my mind. Yep. 
the largest, best-funded, and most profitable 501c3 in human history. And that that is not a new data fact. That's been true since the 70s or 80s, okay? Um, That's who we're dealing with. And so, of course, they have their tentacles, their fingers, into every new iteration of the culture of death. Planned Parenthood is not an abortion organization. They're a culture of death organization, which is why... They're not only the largest abortion provider in the world, they're the largest provider of the pornographic comprehensive sex ed in American public schools, and now the second largest provider of transgender drugs. So if they can't get the kids in the womb, they'll chop them up outside the womb, which always made me ask a very interesting question. What is it about secular progressivism that makes you want to chop up children? Because what's the final, what's the final thing you do if you follow the religion of transgenderism to its final iteration? You chop off body parts. Yeah. You chop up. You chop up people. What do they do in the womb? They chop up children in the womb. You think that's a coincidence? No, yeah. it's not. Planned Parenthood was the eugenics movement. The American Birth Control League, its first name, was the eugenics movement in America. Okay, Sanger once said, "Quote: uh, Eugenics without birth control seems to us a house built upon the sand. It is at the mercy of the rising streams of the unfit. The unfit." So she's using a biblical metaphor, the house built on the rock, the house built on the sand. She said, I'm trying to build this house called eugenics, right? She says eugenics without birth control is a house built on the sand. For her, birth control was the tool to be used to usher in the eugenics revolution and the eugenics movement. That was the whole point. So if Planned Parenthood defended Buck versus Bell, which allowed the, uh, our country to, to forcibly sterilize over 70,000 Americans between California and New York, if she celebrated that decision, if she called herself a eugenicist, if she coined the term birth control as a way to accomplish eugenics goals, and eugenics always involves sterilizing people, then do you think it's a coincidence, Christian, that Planned Parenthood is the second largest provider mm-hmm. of chemically castrating transgender drugs in America? No. Mm-hmm. No, it's not a coincidence. They're simply doing what they've always done. Wow. And so being pro-life is advocating for the womb, and it's advocating for children of all ages. And this really answers a question for me, Seth, about the age appropriateness of Planned Parenthood school curriculum. They don't care what age that child is. Now, in our minds, our moral minds, we think, well, um, this isn't appropriate for a five-year-old. It's not even appropriate for a 12-year-old. Um, the UN lowers the age of consent and all that kind of stuff. But that's why the age doesn't matter. It's a child, and they want they want to destroy a generation. We are at the precipice of destroying an entire generation, Seth. we got a minute left. What can we do? I mean, we listen to this and we know that um, it's just the agenda. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the agenda of uh, the enemy of those, of all of us humans um, who are made in God's image. But is there something that we can do? How can we spread the message? Yeah, go to the whiterose.life, the whiterose.life, um, and join the White Rose Resistance. Okay. If you join at $35 a month, you get our resistance box in the mail to join Christian Resistance, and you join our, you get an invite to our digital platform with pro-life courses. A lot more coming out soon. Live calls with me, live calls with special guests like Eric Metaxas sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you join at $70 a month, you get our book club. We read a book together once a month, and we talk about it live on Zoom with yours truly. Okay. This, today, this month's book is The Screwtape Letters um, by C.S. Lewis. And we're mm-hmm. developing resistance circles all around the country to get the church engaged. Okay. So reach out to us. We're looking to interview regional coordinators. We need your financial support as the fastest-growing pro-life organization in America. Go to thewhiterose.life, www.thewhiterose.life. And you can subscribe to my podcast, Unaborted, anywhere you get your podcast. Fantastic. Seth, I love your passion and the, the dot connecting and the, just all the things that you have studied and to the benefit of the church. And we are so grateful for your gifts and your calling. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 
All right, SethGruber.com, TheWhiteRose.Life, also the movie The War on Our Children on Rumble or Robbie and Landon Starbuck X um, Twitter X page. You can get a link there. I encourage you to do that. Thanks for joining me today, uh, the end of another week. Uh, we really appreciate you, the listener. Be, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God bless. Have a great weekend. <laughs>